Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. Today, we're in the courtroom, Kyle. This is the first of at least three cases. Yeah. Uh, and the first one where we're just going to be openly prejudicial right from the jump. This yeah. is not this is not me and you v Justin Fields. This is the case against Justin. So if you are if you are Ryan Poles and you are I think we I think if you're Ryan Poles you know the argument for Justin Fields at this point. I mean Bears fans that there and there are still several of there are still many of them. Um, they're still yelling at me on Twitter. There um, are still Bears fans. There are still Bears fans who believe Justin Fields and trading the pick is the right choice, and they've been making their case oh so fervently. And so I don't think we need to really cover that, because I think if you are a Bears fan, if you're familiar with it, if you're familiar with Justin Fields, you know what the case for him is. The talent is incredible. The highlight real plays are fantastic. Um and and you're just hoping he can keep getting better and, and you know you can trade that pick for a lot more picks and everyone knows why picks are fun. So um but before we get into that, there is some Bears related news. I think we should touch on it, however, briefly. They have an offensive coordinator. Yeah. And the one that we preferred last The week. one that we wanted. They hired a good one. They they made the I mean, this'll tell you it takes a lot of the anger out of keeping Eberflus for me. Because when I was asked at like midseason who I wanted to replace Eberflus's head coach, Shane Waldron was on that list for me. Sure, like I like Shane Waldron a lot. I think you know people point to you know if you look at more basic statistics like scoring and red zone scoring and stuff like that, people kind of point to their like middle of the pack finish this year as though it was disappointing. Um, I think if you look at like the advanced metrics, he was a top 12, top 13 offense still in, in most ways. Um, and it's incredible how quickly the story turned on him from this guy turned Geno Smith into a great quarterback to yeah. having expectations in year two. And everyone was mad that they didn't exceed them. And I was like, Geno was still, I mean, but if you go by adjusted net yards per attempt, Geno was still basically as good this year as he was last year. He just didn't. Um, there weren't quite as many explosive plays. They had some struggles in the red zone. Um, their offensive line was a mess all year long. Um, but I'm still like, you know, I, I, it's amusing how quickly we have just taken for granted that you should be able to do more with Geno Smith. Um, like that was a miracle. He was a miracle worker a year ago for doing that. Um, yeah, see, Seahawks, I mean, with Geno Smith as a starting quarterback, 12th. Uh, overall offense by DVOA, 28th yeah. overall defense by DVOA. It's yeah. just, it's very much a case of uh, that old, the, the Russell Westbrook syndrome, right? If you are, if you are that good and you are the best part of a team, uh, you are the one who is going to eat most of the blame when there are overall failings, even though the obvious thing to blame for the Seahawks this year is their travesty. Right. Well, that was the injury to Witherspoon. Before that was a Russell Westbrook thing, it was a Bill James adage where he said that good, bad organizations tend to focus their criticisms on their best player. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, that's like, I, I don't know, not, not that Shane Waldron was their best player, but yeah, the Seahawks offense was, was not what let them down this year, to Correct. your overall point. But also, I mean, there's just a lot of things I like philosophically about Shane Waldron. I mean, I'm a, I am a fan of throwing the ball from 12 personnel with two tight ends. And that is, and now also I still don't think that this is what I would do with that ninth overall pick, but 
Uh, I would say with this higher, the odds that that ninth overall pick for the Bears is going to be Brock Bowers bumped up a bit. Um, so if you'd like to bet on those kind of things, that might not be the worst investment. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, we're definitely going to get into this at length as the offseason trudges on. But Brock Bowers is the, the draft coverage this year should be significant tight end draft. The draft right coverage this year should be fun because we will be we will be talking about the quarterbacks in depth with more purpose than we did last year when we were just kind of watching them from a distance. True. Um, and then on top of that, the Bears have a whole ass other top ten pick that we can think talk about what we think they should do with that. Uh, the way we tried to pr- predict and did successfully predict the Darnell Wright pick last year. Never forget, folks. Star Kyle Orton. We called Darnell Wright and Travis, God bless him, called Jervin Dexter. Damn um, straight. We are your once. We are we, your source uh, for draft we, folks. Folks, we've been digging into this a bit behind. We also said that Tyree Wilson would so. suck. We did say Tyree Wilson would suck, and no one wanted to listen to us. And he had one of the worst rookie seasons that an edge has like ever had. Um. He looks exactly like we thought he would. He he's just Dion Jordan again. He's yeah, just born people, again, right? People, people. Now, now, Nolan Smith maybe wasn't the greatest either. So fine, we we missed a little bit, but still, we, we called Tyree Wilson. We called Darnell Wright. We called Jer- I won't say we. You called Jervin Dexter. I won't take credit. You said Jervin Dexter, and I was like the Florida guy. Are you fucking kidding me? So why do you keep talking? Yeah, why do you keep bringing up this Jervin Dexter man? Anyways, <laughs> no. So Waldron, I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of throwing the ball out of twelve personnel, um, especially if you have a slightly mobile quarterback. And in any scenario here, the Bears should still have a pretty mobile quarterback. Um, What's interesting is Waldron is definitely from that McVay-Shanahan tree, but they're all a little different stylistically. They all do. Waldron very much likes to run 12 personnel, but he also is – he kind of likes to do with quick game, quick short throws, what uh, Shanahan likes to do with the run game. Um, so th- there's some variety in there, uh, which also leads me to my next point, because Greg Gabriel, the the drunk former scout of the Bears – um, the master of the appeal to authority fallacy. Uh, immediately, when Walter was hired, like, see, I told you this locks it in. They're keeping Justin the training pick because they kept the same offensive system. They just wanted a better play caller than Getzy. And, like, one, Getzy is not a McVay-Shanahan guy. We talked about this. He he certainly said he was because he worked for Matt LaFleur. Um, and he said he was pitch. to get... He right. said he was to get hired. Yeah, right. But the truth is, he was a Mike McCarthy guy. He was on Mike McCarthy's staff before LaFleur was ever in Green Bay. And he was brought back to Green Bay at Aaron Rodgers' request because Aaron Rodgers likes him. So he, he's really an Aaron Rodgers caddy. Um, and his like schematically, his stuff looks a lot more like the very basic, old-school, West Coast, Mike McCarthy kind of passing game. Um, and so it's not keeping the same scheme. It's getting the scheme that they wanted in the first place that gets bait and switched them on for one. Yep. And then another, like I just said, what I, Shane Waldron loves quick game. He loves three-step drop, boom, three-step drop, boom. He loves to do that and then beat you over the top. Um, and he likes to do it out of 12 personnel because then the threat of the run is there with the two tight ends, but he likes to hit you with quick game out of it. Um, and, and what do we know? What is the thing Justin Fields struggles with the most, really? 
it's getting the ball out quick. It's right. it's processing quick games. So to me, no matter what Greg Gabriel says, um, and a God, do I love when that man uses his 20 years of NFL scouting experience. Like, guys, he was the head of college scouting for the Chicago Bears from 2002 to 2009. Now, I want you sometime to just look at the first round picks that the Bears made, specifically from 2002 to 2009. And and tell yourself if you should ever listen to Gary Gabriel again. Um, yeah. The answer I is will. No. I will even go a step further than you. Um, I mean, I don't think we really need to read into any quarterback with this hire. This seems no. this was such an obvious pick. This was this was such a, a a guy who should have been in high demand. What we did is we went out. We got by far the best available offensive coordinator, a guy who has experience at being a very good offensive coordinator. And now we're going to think about the quarterback. Well, and part of the reason he's here, it, it's not because of one specific quarterback he's seen. It's because he has a lot of options and they're all good options. So, and that was, yeah, that's the best thing about the Waldron hire is that you and I both are kind of leaning towards Drake May. Um, mm-hmm. I will say, as much as I have been leaning towards Drake May throughout the process, I have been really tearing, because I, I do still think the likelihood is that Caleb Williams is going to be the pick, regardless of what we think about it. Um, yep. That 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 train is not stopping. Um, and so I've been tearing more into Caleb Williams. Uh, and I do find and I have the, the, there's a lot to be encouraged about there, too. Sure. Um, obviously there's a reason everyone is really fucking excited about him. And I'm not saying the hype machine hasn't been wrong before, but like there are reasons truly to believe Caleb Williams can be very special. We'll get into that. But like, um, I never felt good about drafting a quarterback, whoever it was, if it was Luke Getze getting basically decide who that quarterback was. Right. Because if Luke Getze decided he wanted Drake May, I wouldn't really be that excited about it, even though I do like Drake May, because I would, in my heart, I would be like, that's Luke Getze scared that he can't do anything with Caleb Williams. Right. Shane Waldron is a guy with credibility. Shane Waldron is a guy with an established track record. Shane Waldron is a guy who took a guy in Geno Smith, who, if anyone remembers Geno Smith with the Jets, it looked very much like Justin Fields with the Bears. He This was a guy, he took forever to throw the ball. He was very hesitant. He would pass up underneath stuff for deep shots all the time. Um and he also spent a year with Russell Wilson in Seattle too. And he got one of the lowest time to throws and one of the lowest pressure to sack rates out of, of Russell Wilson's career out of Russ. So he has worked with these guys that need a little more discipline and need a little more, need to be more comfortable working in structure before in Gino and Russell Wilson. And that's like the main thing Caleb needs to work on is that he needs to work on discipline, um, and his willingness to play within structure. And we'll talk about that willingness a lot when we get to Caleb, because um, on the surface level, I do think some people look at like how long Caleb Williams takes to throw the ball on average, and they just see Justin Fields. Um, But the reasons for their respective time to throw are very different, in my opinion. And with Caleb, it really comes down to willingness and not like an inability to process that quickly. Um, and so I think Waldron is a guy with established credit cred who has gotten people to play on time before who were not used to playing on time. Um, and so if Shane Waldron looks at Caleb Williams and is like, I can ride that guy. And I mean, and the best part about it, this is Shane and Waldron has a very selfish reason to want to do this. 
to get this pick right. Because if you're Shane Waldron, whomever the Bears pick at the top of that draft, if you make him a dude, if you are responsible for the first great Bears quarterback, the world will fucking be your oyster. You will have head coach jobs coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, you might have the Bears head coaching job coming out of the woodwork. I still don't think it's impossible that next year, if the Bears overall have a disappointing record, but they're seeing what they want to see from the rookie quarterback, that we get a Dirk, Cotter, Lovey Smith situation where they just give Waldron the big job and say goodbye to Fluss so that they ensure a continuity for the kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Waldron does this, he's going to get all the credit. No one's ever going to sit there and say Matt Eberflus developed fucking Caleb Williams or whatever. They're going to say it was Shane Waldron's job. They're going to offer him head coaching jobs. So he has every incentive to pick the guy that he thinks he can be great with. Uh, and he's a guy that has enough cred that I trust him when he says, like, I, I can work with this guy. I can make this guy work in my system. I can design specific plays specifically for what he does well. Um, well, I agree with you. And he has three options, two of which we'll get to later. Kyle, yes, let's when you trust him to resuscitate Justin Fields' career at this point? Let's get in to the case against Justin Fields. Again, we're kind of spoiling it. Kyle, I know where you want to start. We've teased it the last few episodes. People seem to have this idea that Justin Fields has been been better the last three years than he actually has. You've compiled a lot of statistics. I, I think they're particularly damning. Do, do you want to start with those? Yeah, so here's the thing. In, in a vacuum where the Bears don't have the number one overall pick, I would still be excited for Shane Waldron with Justin Fields, even though I just said Shane Waldron is not like what Shane Waldron likes to do. Isn't what Justin Fields does best. It's currently it really currently isn't, but like I said, Shane Waldron has gotten guys like that to play better before. So I think, you know, in a world where we don't have the number one overall pick and fields, is, we're rolling with fields one more year. I would say I'll still be kind of excited about Waldron. But do I like Waldron's chances to fix Justin Fields more than I like Waldron's chances to make one of these quarterbacks at the top of the draft be great? No, absolutely fucking not. And here is why. So here we go, folks. Here is the case against keeping Justin Fields. I've got it all laid out. So we are going to start with number one. Look, if you are wanting the Bears to keep Justin Fields right now, I'm willing to bet you're probably underestimating just how bad Justin Fields has actually been mm-hmm. in his career. I think there is this perception among a lot of Bears fans that because of like the highlight reel plays and stuff, Justin Fields has been an average quarterback. And if they just add some more pieces and stuff, then he can make that leap to greatness. Right. I think, I think you see the good, and then you see the bad, and I, I think the idea in people's heads is, well, it evens out right in the middle, right? Exactly average. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I think people see, but that's actually not what happens. Um, Justin Fields has been very, he's been bad. He's been a bad, just talking solely about the results. Uh, we'll get into, you know, the, the explanations people have for what he's done in a little bit, but talking about the results, he has been a bad NFL quarterback. So I have I, I compiled the table here. I, I chose five different categories, and they are a mix of box score stats, and they are a mix of like profile. Because people, you know, if I just cited PFF grade, 
PFF passing grade. I get a bunch of people say, yeah, PFF is fake. That's just some dude's opinion. And that's fine. If that's how you feel, fine. That's also why I have EPA and CPOE and success rate and all this stuff. But if I said that, people would say, well, that's just statistics. You've got to watch the tape, which is kind of what PFF is. So I, I put all of them together so you can see there's really not a case for him no matter what you want to look at, whether it's results or whether it's process-based. So pro football focus grade. In three years, in overall offense grade, uh, among qualified quarterbacks, Fields ranked 28th as a rookie, 23rd in year two, 21 in year three. Now, you do see some definite improvement there, I guess. So, I mean, he's trended up. Uh, but still, his best has been basically a bottom 10, almost bottom 10 quarterback. That's his best in that he's done in three years. That's not average to below. Or that's not average. That, that's below average to bad. Uh, 28th is awful, but I mean, rookie still. Now, if you go, it's even worse if you go specifically with their passing grade. He ranked 30th as a rookie, 36th last year, uh, which is real bad because, as you know, there should only be 32 starting quarterbacks, but just among guys who threw enough passes to qualify, he was 36th. This year, he was 25th. So on average, through three years of his career, he has been the 24th best quarterback in the NFL uh, in overall grade, and he has averaged 30th best in terms of passing grade, in terms of throwing the ball. That's just simply not good enough. That's bad. That's a bottom third to bottom five quarterback in PFF grade. But all right, people say PFF sucks. Their grades are stupid. Fine. I, I'm, I hear you. Sometimes I even agree with you. So let's move on to what's really generally considered the best statistical results-based analysis of quarterbacks these days, which is EPA, CPOE, composite, which is EPA is basically on every play, how many points did the quarterback contribute to their offense? Um, And then CPOE is completion percentage above expectation, which is based on how open the receiver was, the, the type of throw, et cetera. Were you better or worse than an average quarterback at completing passes? There's a ranking that that, remote, that puts these two stats together and kind of gives you an overall composite of how the quarterbacks are performing. Uh, Justin ranked 28th in this as a rookie. He ranked 25th last year. He ranked 22nd this year. So that's an average finish of 25th overall in three years. 25. Again, that's bad. That's not even average. I wouldn't even, I would go so far as that's beyond below average. That's just bad. Success rate. This one's pretty simple. It's tied to EPOA, and it's basically on what percentage of plays do you add positive EPA versus negative EPA. So how many times, how many plays did you make that were good for your team versus plays that were bad for your team? What's the overall percentage? What is your success rate on plays? In 2021, as a rookie, he ranked 29th. Last year, he ranked 23rd. This year, he actually... That was the worst of his career. He was 30th for an average of 27th through three years. Again, not below average, not average, bad, arguably terrible. Um, and that the success rate was really telling this year too, because overall Fields' numbers did improve in a lot of like basic categories, like completion percentage, yards, etc. But success rate really tells an important story because with Justin Fields, as we know, so much of it is he gets one 40-yard 
deep bomb and then struggles for the next 10 plays, you know? Uh, so success rate is very important there. And he, he has never found consistently, he hurts his team on more plays than he helps them. Uh, adjusted net yards per attempt. This is one from pro football reference. I like to use a lot because it, it, it gives you a bonus. It takes all of your passing yardage and it adds a bonus for all the touchdown passes you've thrown. And it subtracts a penalty for interceptions and sack yardage. By adjusted net yards per attempt, Justin has ranked 32nd, 33rd, and 26th for an average place of 30th among all qualified quarterbacks. Again, 30th is not below average. It's not average. It's terrible. It's god-awful. And then total QBR, which is ESPN's metric that's similar to EPA. And I include total QBR because I'm sure there are people screaming at me, you're not including the value of his rushing. Um, But I actually am. Because overall PFF grade, which is why I included it, does include rushing. Um, That's why I separated between overall PFF grade and passing PFF grade. The overall grade does include rushing. EPA does include rushing. Success rate does include rushing, and total QBR includes rushing. All of these statistics include, except for the adjusted net yards per attempt, basically, include rushing. So even with the value of his rushing, and by total QBR, he was 31st as a rookie. He was 15th last year, so there, there, there's his one single statistical category where he did finish pretty much dead on for average. If you include the value of his rushing last year, he was because he was a very successful rusher last year, he was the 15th best quarterback in the NFL, arguably. This year, back down to 23rd for an average place finish of 23rd. So again, I'm going to reread the averages in all five of these categories so far. 24th in PFF grade overall, 30th in passing grade overall, 25th in EPA CPOE, 27th in success rate, 30th in adjusted net yards per attempt, 23rd in total QBR. So not a single average finish among any of them over three years. All below average to very bad. Like he fares best in total QBR, and and his average finish there has been 23rd. He fares worse than adjusted net yards per attempt. His average finish there has been 30th. So he's not been an average QB who occasionally flashes greatness. He has been a below average to very bad quarterback with occasional flashes of being competent. Um, so yeah, that's what I mean by you, you're probably under, if you're still thinking Justin quarterback, Justin Fields is the answer um, and just needs a little bit more help, you are probably severely underestimating how bad Justin Fields has actually been. He's been really bad. Uh, yeah. and then, I don't know if you oh, yeah, no, might want to drink a little water. Say, yeah, you say what you want to say. Hold on. Oh. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we kind of talked about it towards the end of the season. The Athletic did a good job of compiling uh, EPA CPOE statistics for all the quarterbacks, and they, they split it up over quarters of the season. And on the Bears' side, they actually took just the good part of Justin this year, just after he got back, got back into things, all those games. I think we would all agree that the best run of Justin's career was here at the end of this last season. This is this is like the Justin Fields, right? The, the one that we're all going to see pointed at as a reason we should keep him. 
They put all of his statistics there together and even not including all of the bad games he had this year, Justin ended up at 17th in EPA CPOE, 17th in a category that should include everything that Justin does well. Every, like all of his rushing, like just positive plays versus negative plays. The best Justin has ever been during even like this tiny cherry pick stretch of his best play is not average in the NFL. If you're saying 32 teams, 32 quarterbacks, he was 17th. He was one below the midpoint for quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think, I think the problem is Bears fans, we watch the Bears every Sunday, right? And sometimes we watch other quarterbacks play. Sometimes we watch other teams. If you've only watched Bears quarterbacks, yes, Justin does look better than a lot of the guys that we have had, right? He looks better than Mitch. Uh, he, he looks better than Jay, late career Jay. Like, he certainly looks better than Andy Dalton and Nick Foles did. They had some truly horrendous years. But the results still aren't there. He's still not an above-average quarterback. And, like, I can't believe that last well, season think- against Green Bay didn't just drive that point home for everybody, right? Like, we're looking at a well, guy like Jordan Love, and Justin Fields, Just he just still doesn't measure up. Well, I think the biggest problem, people, people just can... I think... There's still this mentality among most fans watching the game that if a quarterback gets sacked, it's the offensive line's fault and they don't hold that against the quarterback. True. But the truth is, and and don't get me wrong, especially last year, the Bears had a truly abysmal offensive line. But a quarterback's overall sack rate, and and especially their pressure to sack rate, like the, the amount of pressure they convert into sacks, regardless of how much pressure there is, um, that is something that most quarterbacks do somewhat control. Patrick Mahomes, an underrated part of what, maybe the most underrated thing about what makes Patrick Mahomes special is all of the time he's able to buy scrambling and all those big plays and how rarely he ever gets sacked on top of that. Justin Fields still, this was the best year of his career in terms of sack percentage, and he was still sacked on over 10% of his career sacks. His first career, he's been sacked out 12.5% of the time that he drops back. That's more often than, than David Carr. Now, if you people don't remember David Carr, he was a guy who was sacked. He had two different seasons where he was sacked 70 times. And Justin Fields takes a higher percentage of sacks than he does. And the thing about that is, the problem is that the things that Justin Fields is still bad at, in terms of taking sacks, in terms of pressure to sack rate, in terms of time to throw... These are the things that almost always, if a guy is going to get better at them, he has already done it by now, by this stage in his career. So, you know, I went and looked at guys who got sacked. And it was hard to find guys who've even been sacked 10% of the time through three years. There aren't that many. The list is not encouraging. So I lowered it even to guys who've been sacked 8.5% of the time. Um, And I found some good quarterbacks in there, like Russell Wilson, um, but the thing is, their sack rate never really went down from there. They all, Russell Wilson has always gotten sacked, and as he's gotten older, he's started to see it tick back up again as he's lost some athleticism. Like, guys who take sacks like that will pretty much always take sacks like that. So they pretty much have to make up for it by being extremely good at everything else. And that was Russell Wilson for the longest time in his career. Russ took a lot of sacks, but he also has one of the highest passer ratings in NFL history. 
he had one of the lowest interception percentages in NFL history. He, by actual, by regular yards per attempt, is one of the 10 greatest quarterbacks of all time. Justin Fields hasn't even been close. Like, so that's the problem, is the math says overwhelmingly that the guy that takes sacks like he takes sacks is almost always going to take a high number of sacks. He's not going to just magically start to feel pressure at some point because, God, you would think if that was something that you can learn, he'd have learned it by now because he's taken a lot of them. He should have more experience than anybody else at knowing when a guy's about to blast him. Um, and they don't get better at that. So he always, he's the burden was always on him to play better than everyone else on the plays where he's not sacked because of how often he gets sacked and he doesn't do anywhere near enough to cancel it out. Because I will agree with you on plays where Justin Fields actually throws the football, of course he's better than Mitch Trubisky. Of course you see these special traits. But you're, you're, you're severely underrating how much of a problem it is how often he has a drop back that doesn't even result in, a, in an attempted pass. So that's the big thing I think people are underrating. And so we'll move on to argument number two, because we were talking about the sack rate, and this is what people bring up. You'll always get the supporting cast argument, which you will get no argument from me that last year, especially, the supporting cast was bad. I made that argument really well. I made it on this podcast. But this year's supporting cast was average. Was it elite? Absolutely not. But they were average or so. They were 23rd in pass block grade, which isn't great. It's it's below average, admittedly. But that was, uh, in, in terms of true pass blocking grade, I was looking, they had, because um, that was the big problem last year, was they actually, last year they rated out better overall in pass protection, but it was because Luke Getze basically never asked them to block an actual straight drop back. Um, this year, they did a lot less of the play action and the moving pockets and stuff because they, they did a lot more just straight drop back. Um, and that's because three of the five starters that he had this year were average or better in true pass set protection. Darnell Wright, um, or, sorry, Darnell Wright, um, Tevin Jenkins, uh, Braxton Jones, all those guys were great in pe- true pass set protection. So they actually could this year occasionally drop back, do a five-step drop, seven-step drop, and hold and protect him for a couple seconds. Um, they were 16th in receiving grade, which is supposed to be independent of the quarterback. Last year, they were like 29th. Uh, they were seventh in rushing grade, and I will give Justin Fields credit. A lot of that is him, but still, the running backs all graded out pretty well, too. Um, like I said, the average true pass block grade improved drastically from last year to this year. He added DJ Moore, who was one of the five best wide receivers in football this year, possibly. Um, and, 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 and some of that, oh, supporting cast is pretty bad. Like, people say, well, you didn't even have a second wide receiver, though. And I asked you, like, before this season, did you guys think that Darnell Mooney was awful, was terrible? Like, what do you think happened to Darnell Mooney this year? Because I can tell you from watching the tape, and I do think Darnell Mooney really, like, towards the end of the year, he started to, the effort started to, to lag, no doubt okay. about it. But early on in the season, the first half of the season, if you want to watch the tape, there's a lot of plays, guys, where Darnell Mooney is open. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of plays. I mean, you can watch the on. You probably did remember the couple of plays where Darnell Mooney was open and Fields saw him late. I feel like, especially in the Washington game, there were a few of those on, on those deep crossers where Fields got to him late and threw it wide, threw it late, threw it behind him or whatever. Um, there's a lot of plays where Darnell Mooney is open and Fields just doesn't see him. Uh, and it's it's been consistent throughout through three years now. 
Um, when Darnell Mooney was fielded as number one read on the majority of plays, they had Mooney had good numbers. They had a good connection. The minute he became Fields' second deep read, he disappeared entirely from the offense because Fields just does not make a second deep read, not in time. He hangs on DJ Moore, and then he checks it down to Komet or a running back. Yep, we, we talked about it last week. There was a bit of hemming and hawing on the, the St. Brown Brothers podcast uh, when it came to Darnell Mooney. They kind of didn't want to talk about it. They sort of alluded to maybe Luke Getze being part of the problem. Maybe, you know, he just wasn't getting the ball. But they were very much him, Equinemius, Amandra, St. Brown, and DJ Moore were all kind of like, not really Darnell Mooney's fault what happened to him this year. And no. yeah, part of that was Luke Getze, absolutely. Um, but part of that was Justin Fields, unfortunately, has been a very first read or panic read kind of quarterback, right? You're either going to DJ yeah. Moore in this case, or Cole Komet's open somewhere, that's my safety blanket, or I'm going to dump it off to the running back. That second wide receiver, Justin has never really given him a single chance, like at no. any point during his career. No. Well, and, you know, just look at the Packers. Like, really look at the Packers, guys. We, you can go back to our podcast before week one. They had, like, th- 300 career snaps combined from that entire receiving core. Almost all of them Romeo dubs. Christian Watson is the best receiver they have, and he was healthy for, like, four games this we, year. We missed him both games. We yeah. missed Christian Watson. They didn't have Christian Watson for half of it. They, they, they didn't even have Romeo dubs sometimes. He got hurt a couple times, I think. The rest of the receiving core was Jaden Reed, a second-round pick this year. Dentavian Wicks, who was like, what, like a fourth-round, fifth-round pick? Dubs was a fourth-round pick. Nobody on earth entering the year thought that that, that that set of Packers weapons was better than what the Bears had. But they look a lot better when you have a quarterback who can find them, who can get to second, third read and get the ball out. Yep. A guy who can spread the ball around makes a lot of guys look better than they are. You feel like you don't have a second quality wide receiver, but the truth is you have a quarterback who couldn't get to one if you had one. That's why I'm not a big fan of this whole, oh, just keep fields and draft Marvin Harrison Jr. argument. Because all that does to me is mean that you're going to draw up a whole bunch of plays where, okay, this is the play where DJ Moore gets the ball. Okay, this is the play where Marvin Harrison Jr. gets the ball. Yep. And you're going to cap them both at about 800 yards receiving. There's not going to be a ton of plays where Justin very quickly goes, DJ, MHJ, boom, boom, boom. He doesn't do that. It doesn't matter. You could give him Jerry Rice and Randy Moss, and he would still, if he if he doesn't read it correctly and read it in time, he's not going to see that second guy when he's open. So that's why I'm not really a big fan of that. I mean, even more than the Packers, though. I mean, look at the Texans. Who the fuck knew who Nico Collins was before this year? I mean, I knew who he was. Who the fuck thought Nico Collins was going to be an elite wide receiver this year? He's probably not. C.J. Stroud just throws him the ball when he's open and when he's supposed to in time. C.J. Stroud spread the ball around. Consider what else you're ignoring, right? When you're only looking at your, your number one wide receiver and you're only looking at your safety valve, what you're ignoring on many plays is the second best corner on that team, the third best corner on that team. You're ignoring their second best pass covering linebacker, right? You're not attacking the weaknesses of a no. defense. You're instead you're, throwing it at their strength. Yeah, and you're, you are predictable. And, and let yeah. me, that was, we talked about it for years. Aaron Rodgers is notoriously good. Uh, if you had, if one of your corners went down, you knew immediately where the ball was going on the next play because Aaron Rodgers would be like, "Oh, did you just bring in your fourth string cornerback?" 
Guess where I'm going to throw the fucking ball? Every time we had a fantastic defense, right? It would be Aaron Rodgers would be like, yep, 10 of these guys are playing like all pros right now. Unfortunately, one of your linebackers is not so great, and we are going to fucking hammer him relentlessly, and that's how we're going to beat you this game. Yeah. So, again, this the supporting cast wasn't great, but it really was it wasn't anywhere near as bad as last year. If you try to tell me that they were, you're you're still telling on yourself. You're you're not dealing in reality. You're not talking to serious talent evaluators who will tell you, like, yes, the situation around him did improve. There are guys in the league. Jordan Love, I mean, it sucks to say it, Jordan Love did more with at the at, at least a comparable supporting cast before the season, what most of us would have considered to be a worse supporting cast. CJ Stroud did more with what I would argue was a lesser supporting cast. There are, if a guy was truly special, he would have elevated that unit a little bit. I, this um, is very much like Steelers fans trying to defend Kenny Pickett by talking about the supporting cast, right? Like, where do you think they went, those guys? Like, we know DJ Moore is great. We know, uh, just by his play this year, Cole Komet is great. We know that our running backs performed well. We know that our offensive line... Cole Komet's fine. Let's, let's like, not get crazy. We, we can say all of let's... these things objectively, right? Like, you can't yeah. both agree as a Bears fan that we've got a lot of talent on this offense and say that, oh, well, Justin didn't have a perfect situation. And I mean, the whole... The whole perfect situation thing. One of the things we're learning here, Kyle, is that we're getting a bit older. And some of the people who listen to this podcast, not all of them, but some of them did not live through the Jay Cutler era as we did. We're not as cognizant of it as we were. Maybe they were very young. Guys, we heard that a lot. We heard a lot of excuses about how Jay didn't have the perfect situation. Whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't just hear them. Jay. We made them. We made them. We, we did. Are, we also we said that. We, we said say that. I say this with love to the Justin Field hangers on guys. I'm only doing this. I'm only so hard on you because I love you and I've been you. Is the thing we were there. Like, I we were we saying. Were there. Well, if, if you know Jays doesn't have a perfect offensive line, and then he would get. He had one of the best offensive lines in Bears history, and at that and point, he had Alshon, and he had Brandon Marshall, right. and he had Martellus Bennett, and guess what? He got outplayed by Josh McCown. We we gave because him everything. sometimes a guy <laughs> just is who he is, and his and his backup, his journeyman backup, came in and just blew him the fuck out of the water. And that's just sometimes you have to look at a guy and you have to say, if I am only making excuses for him, every part of his game, if I'm making an excuse for him, maybe he's the problem. And that's where we're at with Justin. And the I, I think the next point you want to make, a small point, if you're only making excuses for a guy going into his fourth year, there's something else you need to consider. And right. that's that bringing the dude into year four means you're talking extension. Right. If they... If they pass on the number one overall pick two years in a row they basically have to pick up his fifth year option at least you are daniel jonesing yourself right if you are a general manager and you pass on a quarterback at number one overall two years in a row and you won't pick up a fifth year option on this guy you are literally saying to the world like i don't have faith in the quarterback we have and yet i passed on all options to replace him you look like a fucking moron so you have to you have to pick it up and then boom right there there's twenty plus million dollars on the salary cap in twenty twenty five for Justin Fields. Do any of you right now really feel he's earned twenty plus million dollars in twenty twenty five just based off of what he's done so far? You're feeling a little shaky now. And then do you extend him? 
do you and, and I tell you some people have said he'd accept a lot less to stay in Chicago based on that's not how it works. That's not how agents work. His agent is David Mugaletta, and what he's gonna say if the Bears pass on CJ Stroud and if they pass on Caleb Williams, he's gonna say, You think my guy is better than those two guys. So you are gonna pay him accordingly. So if you're not comfortable with the idea of paying Justin Fields right now, then you have your answer, whether you like it or not. Right. Yep. And I and mean, then, I think we we talked a bit about the extension last week, right? But I don't think we particularly labored that point, um, which we should have, which is going into year four suggests that you're going to extend that guy. It suggests he's worth the money literally right now, right now, today. And even the people defending Justin Fields, right? They, they, they even agree with that. Yeah, they don't want to pay him. So I'm just like, why if you're it because they're just they're banking on this idea that he will just get so much better next year, and then it will be obvious. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go. Let's move on a little bit further um, to the next one because I've had a lot of people say, "Well, taking quarterback at number one is risky. It doesn't work out," and they name a couple busts. So here's some math that I've looked up. Seventeen of the fifty-seven Super Bowls so far—that is twenty-nine point eight percent. So we'll round up. We'll say it's thirty percent of all Super Bowls have been won by a quarterback who was who was a first overall pick. Six of the thirteen quarterbacks who have won multiple Super Bowls, who have won multiple Super Bowls, were first overall picks. Twenty-one of fifty-seven—that's thirty-seven percent of Super Bowls all time have been won by a quarterback who was taken in the top five 24 or 57 which is 42.1 percent of all Super Bowls won by a quarterback taken top 10 so if your best chance at finding a super bowl winning quarterback just based from all that is taking a quarterback top 10 top five but specifically top one because people kind of keep comparing the number one overall pick to the field they say, well, you can find a quarterback elsewhere. They point to Brock Purdy, and they point to Tom Brady, and they point to all that, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. You don't actually get to just, like, pick the field. The Bears have basically been picking the field our entire lives. They've been trying to find a quarterback every other spot. They took a quarterback at two, for fuck's sake, and it didn't work out. The only thing they haven't tried in our lives is taking a quarterback at one. But the thing is, like, so, yeah, in general, the idea of number one versus the field makes a lot of sense but when you break it down at some point you don't you don't get to pick the field you get to pick at a specific spot for your next chance at a quarterback so like let's say the bears pass on a quarterback at one and decide to take we'll say bo nix in the second round do you want me to run the numbers for how many second round quarterbacks have won super bowls multiple super bowls guess what it's less than the number of quarterbacks who were taken on the qb at one you don't get to pick the field you have to make a pick at a spot on a quarterback eventually. And if you pass on a quarterback at the first overall pick to take one at 43, that's just bad process. You're lowering your own odds. And so if you want to say Super Bowls are a poor measurement of success and are subject to random chance, that's actually fine with me. So this is what I went. So since 1983, when John Elway went number one overall and was traded to the Broncos, uh, 20 of 24 quarterbacks that have gone number one overall had better career-adjusted net yards per passing attempt than Justin Fields has done so far in his career. And that's not even adjusting for era. Used to be, a football reference used to be it let you adjust for era for different years, and it was glorious, and they don't let you do that anymore, and it drives me insane. So I couldn't... So, like, for instance, Vinny Testaverde had, I think, uh, 
5.15 adjusted net yards per attempt in his career or whatever. And he did that in the early 80s and early 90s mostly. Um, and that's still higher than what Justin Fields has done in 2023. But if you adjust for era, it's even worse. So just the fact that raw unadjusted numbers, 20 of 24 beat Fields should tell you the odds that they're taking a quarterback who is just going to be better than Justin has been so far are pretty high. The odds that you're going to get a guy who will perform worse than Justin are pretty low. 17 of those 24 quarterbacks earned at least one Pro Bowl nomination. 12 of the 16 that were, that have been drafted at least 10 years ago um, went on to start games for at least 10 years. They were still starting NFL games 10 years after they were drafted. Five of the 20 that have been drafted at least five years ago have won at least one Super Bowl. I didn't count anybody who's only been in the league for five years or less because, you know, just because they haven't done it yet doesn't mean they won't. Three of the 16 who are no longer active are already Hall of Famers with Eli possibly going to be a fourth. So basically that's, if you want those numbers breaking down into percentages, 83% of them have been a better passer overall than Fields has been so far. 70% of them have been pro bowlers. It's a 75% chance of getting a guy who's going to start in the NFL for 10 years. Uh, it's a one in four shot at a guy who's going to win a Super Bowl. And it's a one in five shot at a literal, maybe even one in four. If Eli makes it and you get four for 60, maybe one in four shot of getting a guy who's literally going to go into the Hall of Fame. You're not getting those numbers. You're not getting those probabilities, those odds, taking a quarterback at literally any other spot in the draft. There's no other single draft slot that performs historically like a quarterback taken at number one overall. And obviously the talent pool matters. The quarterbacks that are available matter. Um, you know, that's the Jaguars shouldn't have taken, I mean, the Jaguars because they already had Trevor Lawrence, but if a team, if a different team other than the Jaguars that had the number one overall pick in 2022, you don't just take Kenny Pickett there because he's the best available quarterback and say, well, see, he's the number one overall quarterback. Like it has to be a quarterback worthy of going number one overall, but the consensus among everybody who is not a Bears fan that wants the Bears to keep Justin Fields is that Caleb Williams is one of those guys. Drake May is one of those guys. Um, and I would say you can trust that Ryan Poles will pass on those guys if they're not worthy of being a consensus number one overall pick because he did it last year when there really wasn't one. Yep. This guy wasn't impressed by Bryce Young, who was an outlier. So you really can't use Bryce because I'd have that people say, well, Bryce Young went number one overall and he looks like he already sucks. You're right. You're absolutely right. And Brian Poles looked at that guy when he was the consensus number one pick last year. Uh, and you and I agreed he shouldn't have been the consensus number one pick. But when he right. was, Brian Poles looked at that guy and said, no, not him. So you should feel a little better if he looks at the guy this year and says, yeah, I'm going to take that guy. Because he's evaluated that he's better than Bryce Young. That's for sure. Right. So, yeah, yep. I mean, that's the odds of are, if you take a quarterback at one, you're you're probably getting a very good one. And, and especially in this year's draft where there are not one but two guys who would be a consensus number one in most drafts. Yeah, um, and I think kind of what you said in there, and we'll get into it a bit here with your, your final point, um, but all drafts are not made equal, right? And I think a lot of people are just conflating drafts. Like when they think of the NFL draft, they just think the NFL draft overall. They think of every single draft in history, and for some reason – it just kind of smooths out to them. Like every single year, there's the same talent pool. It's just right. the draft, right? It's just this general thing. And if you draft a guy at number one, it's it's the same type of dude. 
all drafts are not made equal. There are some historically good drafts, and there are some like really bad drafts where you go back and be like, "Wow, how did this guy ever get taken uh, uh, like ninth overall?" And then you look at the guys who went ahead of him, and you'd be like, "Ah, that was a bad fucking year." This year, and we're gonna get into this as this off season goes on. This might be, as far as talent goes, the best draft that I have ever seen. It is so fucking loaded that you and I talked earlier about Brock Bowers, a guy who I think might be the best tight end prospect I have ever seen, and he's not going to get close to the top five. He's probably going to hang around until our second pick, right? Somewhere around ninth. And, and so much nothing, sure. nothing bad to say about this fucking guy. And I'm not he sure I rated everything. Yeah, and I'm not even sure I want him at nine because I'm like, yeah. Roma Benza is probably going to be there too. And like, do I want the elite tight end or do I want the guy that I think could be fucking Larry Fitzgerald? Maybe. Yeah. This I mean, draft, it's, it's a draft. This draft is so good that yeah. next year's draft, and this is why we're going to get to it later. Next year's draft is a goddamned void. It, it's not a draft that you want to pick in. All of the talent in the NCAA is being ripped out of it this season yeah, and put into the draft. Second, A second-round pick in this year's draft might be worth a first-round pick in next year's draft, but people, people never look at the draft that way. They just say, well... A first-round pick is a first-round pick is a first-round right. pick, man. Like, they're equivalent. In- well, and especially with quarterbacks, people are just like, well, you can, you know, if Fields isn't the guy... You can you, you'll get extra capital from trading away the pick this year. You can move up for a guy next year. But what if there's not a guy worth moving up for? You know, there's there, what if there's not? Because right. I would say Caleb Williams and Drake May would have been the number one overall pick last year. For sure, they would have been the number one overall pick the year before that. In 2021, I think Trevor Lawrence goes over both of them, but it's honestly a question. I'm not sure that just, you know, people remember how Joe Burrow was viewed at the time, given, you know, he was an older prospect and his arm strength wasn't that great. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that Joe Burrow slam dunk goes over both of them, maybe. Um, But before that, I think both of them go over Kyler Murray. I think both of them go over Baker Mayfield. I think both of them go over Mitch Trubisky the first quarterback taken in 2017. I think both of them go over Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. I think both of them go over Jameis Winston. I think you have to go back. I think Lawrence and and then obviously Andrew Luck are probably the only guys since 2012 that I am 100% sure. Well, with, Law- with Luck, I'm 100%. With Lawrence, I'm about 95% sure. Those are the only guys that would go ahead of these two. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think it would have been a true question. Which is to say it's one of those drafts, right? If you go back, yeah. you think of those drafts as the Andrew Luck draft, as the Cam Newton draft, as the Trevor yeah. Lawrence draft, right? Drafts that are defined by those quarterbacks because we saw them coming. Years ahead of time, we were like, those are the dudes. Those yeah. are prizes in those drafts. That's what this is with Caleb Williams and Drake May. And I, I think people are conflating it with last year's draft, with the draft where EJ Manuel was the first quarterback taken, right? Yeah, it's They're not, not yeah. the same thing. Yeah, you will. They will have one shot or one opportunity to capture everything they've ever wanted, or to let it slip. That's, so, that's, thank, thank you, Kyle. <laughs> uh, so, and so anyway, so the last point I want to make is because people do say, like, well, can't Fields get better? To which I would say maybe, but the question is, and I think he probably will get a little bit better. But the question is, how much better? So. 
there, I went through the list of all the quarterbacks who have been below average by their adjusted net yards per attempt, and, and bad, really. I, I went looked at everybody who's had an adjusted net yards, because Justin Fields' career adjusted net yards per attempt right now is under five yards. Um, and so I looked at everybody since 1998. I always like to go back to 1998, the, the Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf draft. It's just a nice, nice bookend of the era. Uh, and first of all, there really aren't that many guys to do it to begin with, to be that bad, which is already a problem. And then if you break it down to the guys out of that group who then went on to become good NFL quarterbacks, it's pretty much just Eli Manning, it's Drew Brees, and it's Alex Smith. So first things first with Eli and Drew Brees, I mean, if it's happening over 20 years ago, that was basically an entirely different sport. The way quarterbacks were treated, the way quarterback development was treated. You didn't have these Shanahan systems or this play action, these quick passing games to try to like ease guys in. Um, I mean, you can go back and watch tape of Peyton Manning's rookie year. The guy was thrown in five step drops, seven step drops, call out the protections, 30, 40 pass attempts a game, go out there and be a quarterback, son. And it was hard. He threw 26 interceptions. He, he struggled with it. But they didn't baby him back then. And so you saw guys who did take a lot longer to develop. Um, but even then, I mean, Eli Manning, I would argue Eli Manning works for both sides of this argument because guess what? Eli Manning was a number one overall pick. So if you want an Eli Manning, I know where you can find one. Yep. Um, but also, you know, he was, he, Eli Manning was kind of weird. I don't, would you ever truly say that Eli Manning was an elite quarterback? Like, no, absolutely not. So I would say there's been one guy, Drew Brees, to go from being truly bad through his first three years of his career to becoming an elite franchise quarterback. And I just don't like those odds. One guy, and then Alex Smith, like same thing. If you're, if you're talking about a guy's best case scenario is Alex Smith, doesn't that tell you what the answer is? Well, and Alex Smith... Again, and Alex Smith also going to make whatever I'll pick. Like, he went to make that <laughs> Yeah. So... Yeah, so it's just tell you, you want to find an Eli Manning or Alex Smith type prospect, you know, you can take one at number one too. But like, um, here's here's what I see on this list is two of the three guys who are below average by average net yards per attempt through three seasons and went on to become above average were fucking number one overall picks. So are. if you want that to happen, you should do that with the first overall pick. Yeah, it seems like the yeah, it seems like the talent level of a player that you can get at number one might be somewhat important for that kind of breakout. Great. Um but yeah, so I mean, it's it's I I have been tearing my eyes out arguing with people who want to tell me that taking a quarterback high is just too risky when the statistics say that if you take a quarterback at number one overall in a good class, there's about an eighty percent chance that you are getting at the least an above average NFL starter. There's a seventy to seventy five percent chance you're getting a Pro Bowler. There's a twenty five percent chance you're getting an honest to god Hall of Famer. That that's too much risk, but betting on a fourth year breakout, which has happened one time truly, and I'm going to say it's fair to say that Eli Manning and Alex Smith would almost be. I mean, I guess Eli Manning, if you want to count the rings, wouldn't be uh, a disappointing outcome. But still, uh, Eli Manning, even if you wanted to make it Eli Manning and Drew Brees, both two guys who went on to become franchise Super Bowl winning quarterbacks in the last 26 years who were bad through three years and turned it around two out of probably 30, 40, 50 guys 
that's that's the math you want to do. That's the that's what you want to bet. That's not risky, but taking quarterback at one is. That's just insane. The math, the odds of hitting on an above average to elite starting quarterback are at, at, with the first overall pick are way higher than the odds that a fourth year quarterback is going to magically turn it around again. Right. I mean, go back to the numbers we were talking about right at the beginning, right? Those those average rankings for Justin so far, 24th in PFF grade, 25th in EPA CPOE, 27th in success rate, 30th in average net yards per attempt. And you're telling me it's a risk to go for a, a guy who's going to go number one overall in the draft? You don't think that the guy who goes number one overall in the draft could beat that? Like at all, at all? Like do you well, have no like, faith in any quarterback? What what to you isn't a risk? At well, and again, you're 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 talking about the the size of the leap there is so important because like okay, jumping ten spots in the rankings in any given year that's a big big ass leap, and I think that's why the 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 perception of Justin versus the reality is important because if you think Justin is the 15th best quarterback in the NFL and you think he can jump 10 spots next year, which I don't know that he can, but let's say he could, if he could jump 10 spots and he's going from the 15th best quarterback in the NFL to the fifth best, I understand why you think they should keep him, but that's not the reality. So if he jumps from his average ranking in PFF grade from the 24th best quarterback in the NFL to 14th, is that enough? Are you winning Super Bowls with the 14th best, in your best case, wildest dream scenario? Are you winning Super Bowls with the 14th ranked quarterback? In terms of EPA, EPA, CPOE, if he jumped 10 places, he'd be 15th. Success rate, he'd be 17th. Adjusted net yards per attempt, he'd be 20th. Total QBR, he'd be 13th. That's your best case, and you have to build a super team around him to get there. And then you've got to pay him, and then you're going to lose those guys through attrition because you've already paid him. So in your wildest dreams, your best case scenario, you build a super team around him, you pay him for like one to two years, you've got the 13th to 15th best quarterback in the NFL. That's your window. That's your shot. What do you think Jordan Love is right now? I don't even, I think he's already better than the 13th best quarterback in the NFL. You're, you're settling already. You're settling in advance for the second best quarterback in the division at best. It's just, the, the it's just not. Yep. And that's, that's if he made it in, and I think if you're saying, well, he could jump 15, 20 spots, then you're just, you're admitting that you're just wish casting here. You're being delusional. You are, you are, you have cast logic and reason and math aside, and you're arguing purely emotionally. And the thing is, I actually forgive you for that. I really do. Justin Fields is a likable guy. I had a lot invested in him emotionally. I wanted it to work. I originally said that if it didn't work with him, I was done with the Bears forever this number one over and I would be if they didn't have the number one overall pick, I think. Right. Right. Um, they have one chance to reset this and get this right and get a guy who's more talented than Justin Fields. I never thought they'd have that. Um but other and, and so it's okay if you like Justin Fields. If you if if you're just willing to admit to me and I have had some people say, I would rather keep Justin Fields because I like Justin and I just want to see this through. I know I think you're wrong. I think that's not the best way to win. And, and if what's important to you is that the Bears winning the the Super Bowl, uh, that's the wrong way to go about it. But I can at least respect that. It's just th- these people who are constantly trying to pretend that they are making the same logical argument here 
that the obvious answer is trading the pick, that taking a guy is too risky, but it's not. It's not too risky. They have to take this risk because if they're going to find a guy, they've got to do it. And, 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 and if you want to argue Justin Fields can be the guy, you're swimming upstream. The numbers, the history, everything is against it. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, part of that is uh, your final point here. We wanted to touch on just a little bit. People are going to talk a lot about like, well, if we trade this pick, we could get a lot because the quarterbacks at the top of this draft are very valuable. And there are a lot of teams that would like these guys. We could probably get an insane return, right? The thing about draft picks is you have to use them. Eventually the point of them is to turn them into elite talent. This draft is loaded with elite talent. You are not going to have a draft with quarterbacks like these two at the top for a long time now. Like history says, maybe every five years, maybe with these guys might be every 10. And the odds of you having a shot at those quarterbacks at that time is incredibly low. If you're thinking we're going to go into this season and give Justin another shot, and then uh, if he fails, we'll just draft a quarterback next year. Congratulations, folks. You're looking at Quinn Ewers, right? You're looking at Shador Sanders. You're looking at guys who wouldn't be guys probably, who are staying probably, frankly, wouldn't get past Jaden Daniels in this draft. Yeah, guys Maybe who are staying in college right now Davis. because they're staying in college right now because they the advisory board told them like you're yep. you're quarterback seven, bro. Like yeah, that's... it's not it's not the same thing. You don't have this chance next year. You are not going to be able to use the first round pick you get from wherever the Raiders, the Patriots, the the Washington professional football players, like next year to get an equivalent quarterback prospect next year fifth year of justin fields might look a lot better than quinn fucking yours is what i'm mm-hmm. saying right this yeah. year this we is have how you two guys stuck. at the top of the draft we have potential future mvp candidates and we're going to go into that later this offseason but you have to pull the trigger here I mean, because the risk is so much lower the analogy the analogy i gave is let's say after the 2011 season the, the season where jay broke his thumb and the Bears missed the playoffs. Let's say after the 2011 season, the Bears, for whatever reason, had that number one overall pick. And you had to choose between keeping Jay Cutler, who was just finishing his third disappointing season with the Bears, but God, he still flashed a lot of talent. And it was hard to say it was all his fault because, I mean, he had Jamarcus Webb at left tackle. You know, he had Johnny Knox as his number one wide receiver. Yep. You know, you could trade the Andrew Luck pick for a haul and build around Jay. Or you could just take Andrew Luck. And if you were sitting there saying that they should keep Jay and they should build around him, and you know what? If Jay doesn't work out, you can just take a quarterback in the 2013 NFL draft, which ended up being EJ Manuel, which ended up being Geno Smith, like or the 2014 draft, which was, what, Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, like... Or the 2015 draft, which was Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston. You know, if they missed, the, if you if you had been in that spot and you had passed on luck and you built around Jay and you had one Super Bowl and then you later had to make a quarterback, guess what? You're probably sitting there waiting, like the Bears did five years later, to take a guy like Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> like yep. that's that's how these things work. They're, they're, it's not there every year. It is so and also there. It's so, you know, we, what we used to hear when we were kids, when we were in school, from people who were fans of the Packers, people who were fans of the Colts, is, well, you know, just, just draft a quarterback, right? Yeah. Just draft a quarterback. Because those franchises, in a position, bam, 
like, oh, we found our guy. We got our guy, right? Peyton Manning just fell into our lap. Andrew Luck just fell into our lap. This doesn't happen that often. And it has happened to the Bears. And it has happened to, to a Bears team that is still it's pretty good. Pretty good right I mean, now. shoot, the Packers. The Packers. Imagine if Aaron Rodgers hadn't inexplicably fallen to them in 2004. Because everyone thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be the first overall pick. Not Alex Smith. So if Aaron Rodgers hadn't fallen that far, if, if the Packers, because they didn't trade up to get him or anything, he was just there. If if Aaron Rodgers hadn't fallen that far and the Packers don't take a quarterback there, when Brett Favre's done in 2006, 2007, and from where the Packers were drafting, they're looking at, I don't know, taking Jay Cutler. They're looking at the right. Jamarcus Russell, Brady Quinn draft. What does Packers history look like if they pass on the, or if they had not taken a quarterback and they just been like, well, we have Brett Favre, we need to, to build around him in his late years. We need to go all in. You know, if they just hadn't taken the best available player when Aaron Rodgers was there on the board. What does the, what does the Packers franchise look like? Because there was a real dearth of drafts there for a while of good quarterbacks in the draft after that. These things, you cannot just assume that there will be a guy next year. You can't do it. And I guess uh, the last thing I was going to say about taking a quarterback number one overall is people underestimate... Because even, you know, I've had people argue that Matthew Stafford wasn't a successful number one overall pick to me because he never won anything with the team that drafted him. And that is because the team that drafted him earned the right to draft him by going winless. Matthew Stafford was never the problem in Detroit. We saw that when he immediately won a Super Bowl when he left. The Bears are putting a Matthew Stafford caliber prospect on a team that is ready to go, that has most of the pieces in place and has an offseason with another top 10 pick and $61 million in cap space and everything else to put that kid in a fantastic spot, probably the best landing spot that a number one overall QB has had since at least John Elway landed with the Broncos. Absolutely. This is a, so not only is just the opportunity to draft a guy like this unprecedented and rare, the opportunity to draft a guy like that and put him on a good team, a team that doesn't suck balls where he's not going to be asked to single-handedly resurrect the franchise. You can't pass this up. You can't miss on this opportunity. Yeah. Case I don't closed. think they will. I don't think they will. But yes, I don't think they will. hopefully, hopefully, folks, all of the information we've given you here, all of the reasoning has convinced you, uh, or if not convinced you, it will ease the pain when the Bears do trade Justin Fields and do decide to take Caleb Williams or Drake May, likely Caleb Williams, like you said. Um that, that's basically what we're trying to do here, because like you said, we have been in a position where we've been relentlessly defending a guy. We believe in a guy. We've staked ourselves on a guy uh, in Jay Cutler, and it just didn't work out. And we Oh, yeah, you like to stake yourself on a guy, don't you? Yeah. You man. love to get oh, staked. Oh, you love to stake man. yourself on a guy. We uh, love getting staked at Star Award. I staked myself on Jay Cutler so hard, and, and folks, he just left me sad and cold. Yeah, um, I respect people who like a guy. I like Justin Fields. Shit, we've got a podcast out there we recorded almost a year ago today uh, talking about how much we like Justin Fields going into this last year. I respect you for wanting a guy to succeed. Uh, but, guys, we, we want the Bears to win, first and foremost. And Justin Fields, compared to what we could potentially get out of Caleb Williams or Drake May, he's not the guy. That's it. Yep. That's it. All right. Well, we'll see you next week, folks. I'm not sure if we'll start in on. I think we'll wait maybe a little bit before we start diving in detail into it's, the. It's time to schedule. 
We we got to start scheduling things, Kyle. We I do think I think I think we've spent a lot of time on Justin Fields and the coaching staff. I think maybe the next thing we should do is we should we should grade the twenty twenty three Bears, Travis. How does that sound? Let's. I think that's. Let's go through the guys on both sides of the ball. Take a take a break from the number one overall pick discussion from the from the quarterback discussion just for a hot minute. Look at everyone else on the roster, how they did, who we feel good about, who we don't feel good about, uh, and before we start to really get into free agency and drafts. We'll take a break. We, we need to spend some time reflecting on the Bears that were before we talk more about the Bears that will be. I think so. that's a great idea. I guess right. I'll see you next week. See you next week, folks. I sure do hate to go.